Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for being such a good and amazing, awesome God. Father, we thank you for being here with us right now. Father, I pray for everybody who's watching this message, Father, that you, you would continue to, to draw close to them and draw them to you. Father, that you would show them your love for them, show them that uh, the plan that you have for, for them, the, the life that you have in store for them. And Father, that you would help guide them through this life day by day uh, to, to do the work of the kingdom that you have called us to do. Father, I pray that you will, you will open our minds and heart, soften our hearts to, to understand your word and to embrace your word, to live out your word. Father, help us to, to live just like you live on this earth. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, today's message is called God is King. Uh, you're going to notice during this message that a lot of what this message has to do, deal with does in fact uh, coincide with, with what you see going on in the news and things that are happening right now. I, I did not do that on purpose. Uh, I, so I want to start off with a little caveat and just say uh, real quick that I don't, I don't believe that the, the pulpit should be a place that a pastor uses to, to push any type of political narrative, political agenda. Uh, the pulpit is not to be used to just address everything that's going on in the political sphere uh, in life. I, I, I truly believe that. But I also want to say that the way that I do things here at the church, uh, right now we're working through this Kingdom of God series and we're starting in Genesis and we're kind of working through the different elements of the kingdom and how the kingdom is shown throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end, how God has talked about the kingdom and him as the king throughout the entire scripture. Because Jesus in the New Testament uh, believers and the apostles, they all went around preaching about the kingdom, preaching about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And that's something that we've kind of lost. And so we've been going through this series talking about the kingdom. Uh, and But one thing I want to say is that when we come across something in Scripture, if it is has a strong political context or if it is something that's all over the news in politics, it is in no way to be avoided because it has politi become political. Uh, one thing, just, just for emphasis, is that uh, politics is things that are happening today, but the Scripture was written 2,000 to 3,500 years ago. And so the Scripture is God's Word to us to teach us how to live, who He is, who we are, how to navigate through this world. And so just because something in the scripture that was written thousands of years ago that still is very much applicable to us today, just because it finds itself in politics, it by no means means that you avoid it in any way. Um, but I'm going to try to stick purposefully 
I'm going to try to stick specifically to what the Scripture says, what's in the Scripture, what's implied by the Scripture, and try not to elaborate um, on how that applies to our uh, political environment today. Um, but I just want to I just wanted to start off with that. I, I didn't want you thinking that I I picked this for that reason. I started this sermon uh, several weeks ago. But the sermon is called God is King, and we find ourselves in 1 Samuel. Uh, I want to end with the the end of the book of Judges um, and give you a little time frame here. The, the last verse in the book of Judges says, Judges 21-25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And so where we left off with Moses was on Mount Sinai, where Moses had given the Ten Commandments. And that was around 1446 B.C. Now then you had the book of Joshua and Judges, and you have this period that we go through where, as Judges says, there was no king. Everyone did whatever seemed right to them. Then you come to 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel the prophet, where Israel asks for a king. Um, now, this is 10, around, about 1050 B.C. when Samuel anoints Saul as king. So you have a 400-year time span here between the giving of the Ten Commandments to when Israel asked for a king. 400 years. And so I would just ask you to think about the past 400 years, uh, how much time has passed. You, that would take us back to 1620. Um, 400 years is a long, long time. But during this period of the judges, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did, did whatever seemed right to him. Then we get to, to Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. It says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest profit, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. When they said, Give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods." And so we see here, if I back up just a little, God said, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me as their king. Israel asked Samuel to give them a king, to anoint them a king, to make them like the other nations, because they weren't like the other nations. They didn't have a king, well, they didn't have an earthly king. God specifically made it very clear that God himself was their king. And he said that they have rejected me as their king. So we keep in mind that the scriptures are inspired by God. This is what God has to teach us about who we are, about who he is, about 
how this world, why this world is the way it is, and how to get through this life to him. And so what he said here, God inspired through the scriptures, he said that I am their king. I want to be their king. I designed from the very beginning when I gave them the law that I was their king. And they have rejected me as their king. So we see that God wants to be viewed and wants to be our king. And so what he did is he set up this nation. He created this nation of Israel. And he gave them 10, the, well, we say the Ten Commandments, but he gave them uh, over 600 com- commands, 600 laws. But he gave them a huge set of specific laws for them to follow. And he was their king. And, it, and we see that throughout the, if you read the book of Judges, you will see complete lawlessness. You see people just living in anarchy, in, in chaos, and people killing each other, and it's, it's constantly, people are afraid for their lives, and people are being betrayed, and all kinds of, of horrible things are happening in Israel. And what we see is they have the law. God gave them the law, and they have a king. God is their king. But they would not submit to him. They would not submit to him as their king. They would not submit to his laws and follow the laws and obey the laws. And what you saw was complete anarchy and chaos and murder and devastation. And so God God gave them the laws because he is just. And so he gave them a system of justice and laws that would protect people that would keep people safe and, 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 and make sure that, that people are cared for and taken care of the way that he would care for and take care of them. And so we see that the law itself is, um, the law represents justice, and that is God's justice because God is a just and a good God. But they would not submit to him, and then they asked for an earthly king, and Samuel rebuked them and told them that this was wrong. And that they shouldn't submit themselves to an earthly king. They already had a perfect heavenly king, a good king, a just king who had given them just laws and only gave them just laws, would not give them unjust laws. God did not take advantage of them as as king. He's the best king that you could ever ask for. But they rejected him as the perfect king and they wanted an earthly king. And so God then went on to explain to Samuel that for hundreds of years, this is what they've done. They have rejected me. They have abandoned me because they have gone, want to go off and worship other false gods. They have made up other gods to worship. And we can be just as guilty of this today. Maybe we don't have little idols and little gods that we, we set up a shrine for and say that we worship, but the concept is the same. People reject the God who is God the God that exists, they reject him and create a God that they are okay with worshiping. In other words, they're not okay with worshiping the God of the scriptures, the God from the beginning, the God of, uh, that has given us his laws and, and his word. They're, they're not okay with that God. They don't want to worship him. They don't want to submit to his laws. And so they reject him and they create a false God, a God that they are willing to submit to, a God that they are willing to worship. And without fail, that God is always a God who allows them to live the way they want to live, allows them to sin. 
And then they create that false God. And then they convince other people to worship and believe this false God. And so he said, they've rejected me as they always have, worshiping other gods. He goes on to warn them about the, uh, what the consequences of electing an earthly king. He warns them that he's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to put them to his work. He's going to put them to his army. He's, 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 he's going to take your, your fields. He's going to take, take all the things, the best things in the land. He's going to take them all for himself and for those that he wants to, to give, thing, give them to, to, to surround himself with other people of high power. And so he's going, in other words, he warns them that he's going to abuse you as a king. He's going to be selfish as a king. He's going to, to do everything for his own benefit. And it's going to cost you dearly, which it doesn't now. I don't do those things as a perfect God. He says, I don't do those things to you, but this earthly king that you set up for yourself will. He tells them that, gives Samuel to warn them of that, and they still refuse to do so. Let's jump ahead to 1 Samuel twelve eight through 12. Samuel said, when Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord and he sent them Moses and Aaron who led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord, their God. So he handed them over to Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, to the Philistines and to the king of Moab. These enemies fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, for we abandoned the Lord and worshipped the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Now rescue us from the power of your enemies, and we will serve you. Does this sound vaguely familiar? Any of you done this? I think we've all done this. We find ourselves in a bad situation. Oftentimes, a situation we've, we've managed to put ourselves in. But either way, we find ourselves in a bad situation, whether it's our own fault or whether it's not. And we'll make some type of similar promise. God, if you'll get me out of this. God, if you'll protect me. God, if you'll give me another chance. God, if you'll X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. God, if you'll take my bad situation and make it good, then I will X, Y, Z. I will go to church more. I will tithe more. I will do more. I will give to charity. I will whatever the promise is. Read, read the Bible every day. There's always a promise. God, if you'll save me, then I'll be faithful to you. But rarely do we ever keep those promises, do we? We we tend to fall back into the same old routine we always have. We shouldn't bargain with God. So they do the same thing. If you'll save us, then we'll abandon these false gods and we will serve you. So the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. He rescued you from the power of the enemies around you, and you live securely. And what he's saying is, every time you cried out to him, saying, we'll abandon these false gods and worship you, he would send a judge, and that judge would then save them, but then they would just go back to worshiping the false gods. And he'd do it again. They'd call out. They'd cry out for him to save them. They'll abandon the false gods, and they'll worship him if he'll save them. He sends another judge through the power of the Holy Spirit to save them. He saves them, and then they just go on back. In hundreds of years, this is what they did. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you, you said to me, No, we must have a king reign over us, even though the Lord your God is your king. Now here is the king you've chosen, 
the one you requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord, worship and obey him. And if you don't rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now, therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. Samuel called on the Lord and on that day the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And so we see Samuel rebukes them and says, The Lord your God is king. You're doing a great evil by asking for an earthly king to submit to instead of submitting to God as king. What you're doing is you're telling God, I reject you as my king and you, a perfect God who gave me life, who gave me existence, who gave me breath, who has protected me, who has rescued me over and over and over and over again. I reject you. I will not submit to you. I want an earthly king, somebody, a human like me, and I will submit to him even though he will abuse me, even though he will take advantage of me, even though he will not always do his best for me, even though he doesn't have the power to save me, I reject you and I will submit to him. And so Samuel is telling them, this is a great evil that you are doing. And he, and so God, he called on God to, to send rain and thunder on the land to show them and, and to show them that God was very upset about this and that they had all committed a great evil by doing this. But hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it's the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. That's what we got to realize. We are creatures of habit. We tend to always fall back into the same thing. The scripture says in Genesis that our hearts are inclined towards evil from our youth, meaning that it doesn't mean that we're as evil as we could be. Of course we're not. We could, every one of us could be far more evil than we are. It doesn't mean that you're completely evil. It just means your heart leans towards evil. It's inclined to do evil more than it's inclined to do good. And so we have to fight against that what's called our flesh. We have to fight against our flesh to not sin. A, a phrase a lot of people have I've used several times and you're familiar with, you don't have to teach a child to sin. You have to teach a child not to sin. Because we're all inclined to do what's selfish. We're all inclined to do what's whatever we want, whatever we feel, whatever emotion we feel, what, whatever, whatever our flesh tells us to do, even though most of the time it's good for us and hurts someone else. And even again, most of the time, you could probably say it's not good for us either. Um, most of the things that we tend to want to do end up destroying our bodies. Uh, so pretty much all the things that we, we tend to, to, to want to do when it comes to especially when it comes to sin, is all, always hurtful both to us and others. But what we typically do is we will ignore what's good for others and we'll do what we want for ourselves. And so that's where our hearts are inclined to do. We have to realize this because we have to keep it in check. We have to understand that we have a fleshly body. We have a flesh that wages war against the Spirit. And so we must always keep in focus that, okay, my body wants to do this. Maybe I won't 
whatever it is that I want. Maybe it's, you know, maybe I start, I want to start to lose my temper. Um, something's starting to make me very angry, and so I start to want to lose my temper. We have to keep in mind, whatever it is that our flesh is drawing us towards, we have to check that with what the Scripture says, and we have to keep that in mind as we go through this life. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this okay? Is this not okay? So God sent the, sent the rain and the thunder. They pleaded with Samuel, verse 19, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. Samuel replied, Don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he is determined to make you his own people. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and the right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. And so this is what we have to realize, that even when we look at the Israelite story, and keep in mind this is all of our story, every one of us, our story is the same as the Israelite story that we read. But when we look at the Israelite story, what we see is they sinned over and over and over and over and over and over again continue to sin, continue to sin, continue to sin. And then on top of those sins, they then reject God and ask for an earthly king. And that's why, that's why I backed up. And uh, let's see. It's hard for me to find my spot. But uh, that's why they said because of all this sin that we committed, um, that we added to it. Here it is. That's why they said, for, for we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. We've added that on top of all of our sins. And so they recognize their sinfulness, which we all should do. We should all be convicted and recognize our own sinfulness when we commit sin. They recognize their sinfulness. And God was very upset with them asking for a king, rejecting him and, des- and desiring to submit themselves not to him and not to his law, but desiring to submit themselves to an earthly king and, and who's going to take advantage of them and doesn't love them as much as he does and doesn't care about them. After all of that, and after he warned them, and they still said, I didn't put this verse up, but they still, after Samuel warned them about all the things that the earthly king would do and take, take their money, take their land, take their kids, take, take all the stuff from them, and, and, and even after all of that, they still said no no, give us a king so we can be like all the nations. So even after all of that, we still see God's heart come out. Samuel, finished, Samuel followed up that verse with verse 20. He said, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. And so he's telling them, even though God is very upset with what you're doing, even though this is wrong, even though you are sinning, even though you're committing a great sin in God's sight, 
Don't stop following God. Turn your heart back towards God. Follow his laws that he gave you. Follow his commands. Love him with your, all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love him. Follow him because he loves you. He is a forgiving God. He is a compassionate God. He is a merciful God. And he wants more than anything else for you to turn back to follow him. And that is the takeaway that we all have to take away from this, is that no matter how much we sin in this life, no matter how much we've done against God, at some point we just got to wake up and realize how much God loves us, how much God cares for us, and that we should submit to him as our king, not just as a best friend who's going to walk with us through this life and make life more enjoyable, not just as a father, because that's ultimately how he wants to be viewed as a father, a loving relationship where he is our father and we are his children. But that's not the only way that he decided to describe himself in the scriptures to us. He didn't only describe himself to us as father. He also chose throughout the scriptures to describe himself as our king because he wants to be our king. He wants us to submit to him. Because it's only through actually submitting to him and his authority over us. It's only in obeying him that we will be able to live the way he's designed us to live. That by following his laws, by regarding his laws, that we will be able to to live peaceably with each other. That we'll be able to love each other. Because his laws are good. They are just. They are holy. He is a God of justice. And he desires us to be people of justice. He desires us to be people who stand up against things that are wrong. To to call out wrong when we see wrong. To stop evil. And to follow his laws. To submit to his authority. To submit to his laws and obey him. Because he loves us. And he has given us his laws in order to protect us. To make us and mold us into the image of him. His desire is for us to be just like him. And so he has shown us what he is like. And the law shows us what God is like. It shows us what he says. This is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. And so he shows us how he would live. And ultimately in the person of Jesus, how he did live. And he wants us to be just like him. He wants us to mimic him, to live like him, to to enact justice, stand up for the oppressed, and to obey him and follow him, submit to authority, and submit to his authority. We love him. He loves us. No one has ever loved you more than God loves you. And that is what he has called us to do, to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourself. And so I just ask you, do you know that love? Have you submitted to him as your king? Because God has always desired, always will desire. And then when you look in Revelation, when it talks about the end of time and God at the end of time coming back and restoring all things, he again describes himself as king sitting on a throne. And he says, and all the earthly kings will come and take their crowns off and throw them down on the ground at his feet. And that all kings will submit to him as king because he is the perfect and loving and just king. And so he wants to be our king. And that's the only way that our relationship with him will work is if we submit ourselves to his authority as our king. And if we do that, 
If we submit ourselves to him as our king and obey him as our king, then we will get so much more than just a king. We'll get a king and a father. We'll be so much more than just a peasant or a page in a kingdom. We will be heirs to the throne. We will be princes and princesses. We will be sons and daughters to the king because he loves us that much. He loves you. And if you don't know that you are a member of his eternal kingdom, if you don't know that you have been adopted as a co-heir with Christ, as a prince or a princess, as a son or daughter of God in his perfect kingdom, then I beg you and I plead with you to make that decision right now today. To admit to him that you know that you've sinned just like every person in life has sinned. And that you, you don't deserve to be adopted by the king of the universe. You don't deserve to be the son or daughter, to be a co-heir to the throne. You don't deserve to be lifted up to that status. You don't deserve for your sins to be wiped away. You don't deserve the perfect eternity that he's going offers to give you. But you want it. You want to spend eternity with God. You want to be adopted. You want to be made right with him. You want him to be in right relationship with you, to forgive you, and to love him the rest of your life. Then tell him. Say, Father, I am sorry for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And Father, I want you. I want to be adopted by you. I want to spend eternity with you. And I want to serve you not just in the afterlife, but I want to serve you now as my king. I want to submit to your authority as my king. And I will turn from sin. I will turn from disobeying the laws that you have set in place for all of our good. I will turn from breaking the laws and rejecting you as my king and setting myself up as my king. I will turn from all of that. I will turn from sin. And I will try my best to live my life pleasing to you, made in more and more into your image the rest of my life. Because that's truly what I want. I want you. I want to be with you. I want to be, I want to spend eternity with you. I want you to be with me now. And there's the big difference between coming to God in desperation, like we read that the Israelites did over and over and over again throughout the period of the judges. They found themselves in desperation. They found themselves in desperate times. And they would plead and bargain with God and say, God, if you'll save me, if you'll take me out of this situation, then I will do such and such for you. And then it's a bargaining chip. But that's not what God's offering on the table. He's not offering to give us forgiveness and to give us eternity in the kingdom. That's not in order for you to then go to church more or to try to be a good person or to try to obey his laws, try not to sin, and therefore he's going to give you something in return if you give him you know, your, your dedication to not sinning. That's not, that's not what he's offering. He's offering himself. And so when a person changes that mindset from, I want to be taken out of my bad situation and therefore I'll commit to doing such and such if you'll get me out of this bad situation. The problem is when God gets us out of that bad situation, we go on back to doing whatever we wanted because what we ultimately wanted was not God. That's not what we ultimately wanted. Therefore, we don't stick with him. You have to, in your heart, ultimately want God, not what he'll give you. You actually have to love him 
You have to want Him. You want to have to want spend eternity with Him. Because when you want Him, when you love Him, then it doesn't matter what happens in life. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. It doesn't matter if you found yourself in an awful situation or a great situation. Whether your life, it looks like it's completely blessed or if it looks like it's completely cursed. It, your situation in life, your circumstance doesn't, doesn't matter. Because when you ultimately want God, you're going to pursue God regardless of your situation. Regardless if you find yourself in a good time or a bad time. It doesn't matter. You ultimately want God, and so you will continue to go after God and follow God the rest of your life. And so I ask you, in your heart of hearts, do you truly love God? Do you love Him and do you want to know Him? Do you want to be made into His image? Do you want to follow Him wherever He goes? Or do you just want what He'll give you at the end of this life? Do you want to live your life however you want without regard of His authority over you? And then, and then be assured that you're going to go to heaven when you die, but now just live however you want? Or do you want Him now and forever? Do you want to submit to Him now and forever and love Him and follow Him now? And that's the difference. Do you love Him or do you love what He'll give you? And if you love Him and you choose to follow Him, He will forgive you. He will wipe away your sins. He will wipe your slate clean. And He will adopt you as His son or as His daughter. But you can't deceive God. And so I ask, if you don't know, if you're not sure, make today the day that you make sure. Make today the day that you make for sure that you truly want God, regardless of your life circumstances, regardless if He gives you the things you want or not, regardless of he, if He changes anything about your life circumstances on this earth or not. Do you want Him anyways? That's what God is looking for. True love. Real love. Because I can tell you, I love my wife, regardless of whether we have money or don't have money, regardless of whether we get to go on vacation or whether we're thrown in prison, regardless of our life circumstances, I love my wife, and I always will, and that's not going to change. And that's what God is looking for with him. A love for him, a genuine, real, sincere love that's not going to change regardless of your circumstances. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your unending and undying love for us. Father, we're thankful that you are faithful to us even when we have not been faithful to you. Father, we're thankful, as the Scripture says in Romans 5, 8, that you proved your love for us, and that while we were still sinners against you, you died for us. Because, Father, you are faithful, and you always have been faithful, and we are not. And we have not always been faithful. But Father, your love for us causes our love for you. To see how much you love us causes our love for you to grow and build inside. To know that you are a perfect Father and a perfect King who loves us. And every law you have given us has been for our good, not for our bad, not for our destruction. It's been for our good. And it's not just been for your good, it's been for our good. We see that amazing, perfect love from you, Father. And that love that you would come and die for us so that we could be forgiven 
through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. That type of love causes us to grow and, and grow and grow and grow in our love for you. And so, Father, I pray if there's a single person listening or watching this message right now who has not made that commitment to follow you, to turn from sin, and to love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, Father, that they would make that decision today. That they would love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and follow you the rest of their lives. I want to see them in the kingdom to come. I want to eat with them at the table forever. Father, I want to to get to know all the people around this world throughout all time who have placed their faith in you. And Father, that we would be one big, amazingly, perfectly happy family forever. I can't wait for that day, Father. But until that day, Father, I ask you to continue to guide me as well as all those who have chosen to follow you, that you would guide us to, to grow your kingdom on this earth right now, to play a role in your kingdom, to share this saving message with those that we come across, those that we meet, those that we work with. Father, we, we love you and we thank you for your amazing, unending love for us. Father, Father, continue to open doors for us to continue to minister to others. Father, just continue to draw people to yourself as you always have and always will. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship you today. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you have an amazing, awesome, wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you soon.